up everybody no guitar is safe hanging out jamming with grammy nominated will bernard killer guitar player that i've been a fan of for gosh decades now from the bay area now he's in new york too just saw him play a sold-out show last night in Berkeley. You guys were killing it. He's got a new record out called Sky. With clarinetist and singer Beth Custer. You know him from TJ Kirk, too, the super funky, well, we could call it acid jazz, we could call it a jam band, but great band from the 90s on forward. And uh, it's all brought to you by Guitar Player Magazine and GuitarPlayer.com. Guitar Player, play better, sound better. And we're just jamming right here awesome Berkeley living room. Thanks for hanging, Will. Thank you. 
thank you so much, Will, for uh, bringing your petal palette here and showing us all these delicious recipes. Here we I know. Are, just two yeah, days I'm giving after. my stuff away. Oh, well, you know, you haven't given your secrets <laughs> yet. Can you show us a couple of those things? Like, first of all, I know I recognize some of the backwards kind of cool looping stuff that maybe you're doing with the DL4 from the yeah. sexy new DL4 from Line 6. Yeah, I love the new one. It's, it's so uh, light and portable and everything. I, I've had those things for uh, since they started making them. I, you know, it's a great machine. Can you show us real quick how you just kind of take a line and throw it backwards or something? Or, I mean, um, yeah, one of the things I like to do, um, I use I use it a lot for textural stuff. I mean, I'll, I'll do like loops too, but the playover. But a lot of times I'll just kind of take a sound, you know, like a. So I'm using the particle here, red panda particle, also. Just start. I love it. Yeah, I just I love the backwards stuff, you know. And tell show us what that particle pedal does. Yeah, red red panda has a line of pedals that I I learned about from Scott Amendola and Nels Klein and people like that. And um, Scott being a drummer, so you're learning about yeah guitar pedals. He he does a lot of cool looping stuff. Like Yuka Honda and those kind of people. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so this one is um it's kind of a mystery. I don't know everything about it, but I know you know it's, it has different um delays, reverse um and granulated delay and uh pitch delay. But yeah, I love the randomness of it. Yeah. And there's many many uh pedals that are doing this these days. There's so many more creative uses of delay that I always wanted back back in the day. I was like, why does that delay just have to go, uh, 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 you know, why can't it go, uh, 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 you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or, because <laughs> that, that's more effective for uh, back, you know, sort of ambient. Sounds. Yeah. It's very cool. And the, the freeze pedal, too, I saw you stepping on that. Is that what that's called? Freeze pedal. Is that like a yeah. electro harmonics? Yeah, e- electro harmonics freeze. I addicted to this one too. It's just like a. I, I'm a piano player too, so it's like a sustain pedal. You know, it's yeah. kind of like. I love that stuff. Why do you think music has kind of seems like there has been more of an interest in recent years or maybe the last couple of decades for guitar players into like more random, even mm. lo-fi, even sometimes warbly tuning yeah. kind of pedals and delays? Why is that? Is, Why is, is it, it just Bill Frizzell? No. <laughs> no, he's one of them, I guess. Who's kind of? Well, I mean, he he's not the mainstream. I mean, he's kind of for jazz is mainstream, but not for. Who builds pedals for who? I don't think you know. Right. So it's like, so it's even um, bigger, yeah. I don't know if I can answer that, but uh, you know, there's a lot of experimentation in the alt rock bands, obviously, and there was that whole lo-fi uh, broken circuit kind of uh, movement yeah. where uh, people like things that sound messed up. And I've always liked things sounding messed up, but yeah, it's cool um, if it sounds messed up, but it's super musical too. But, you know, some like, kind of... and there's still sort of that punk rock 
ethos that or people like fuzzes that uh sound like something breaking and even yeah. like with Jimi Hendrix, like I love that about those early fuzzes. Just it sounded like something was burnt on fire or something, you know, yeah, like <laughs> pushing it to the oblivion. <laughs> it doesn't sound right, you know. So there's, a, I think, and the, you know, like the earliest Link Ray and all the earliest people who were experimenting with broken speakers and all this. Yeah. Just some some sort of rock and roll aesthetic about doing the wrong thing. Yeah, I guess we're always <laughs> just trying to find new ways to do the wrong thing. <laughs> So, man, it's really cool to finally interview you after all these years of knowing you. I'm not knowing you, but yeah. I met you once or twice over the decades because we yeah, both sure. grew up in the East Bay here yeah. in Berkeley, Oakland area, San Francisco. And I remember, man, the hieroglyphics, seeing you on those album credits and stuff. And we, oh, cool. both went to berkeley high and uc berkeley oh wow i didn't know that you went to berkeley high right i did back in yeah i was there i graduated just yeah <laughs> <laughs> wait not ni- 19 right not 18 yeah right. 19. <laughs> but what how did you get into music like was it did, you, did your parents have were they musicians well i grew up in berkeley in the 60s i will admit and uh I, uh, my parents were, loved music and, um, there's the folk movement was happening when I was a real young kid. And so like people would get together at dinner parties and sing folk songs all the time. And, you know, I'd pick up a guitar and learn a couple of chords. And then, so that was probably my first kind of, uh, musical experience, I think, you know, and then, and my, and my, and then my mom loved classical music and she was taking piano lessons when I was really young. And, um, uh, it's funny because the thing I remember most was hearing uh, her play Bartok peasant dances when I was three or four. And I was like, I like, you know, it's funny because they had those kind of dissonant things. Yeah. You know, lots of like, a, you know, seconds. You know, dissonance, really well handed handled but folky sounding dissonances you know there and then uh, i think i always was attracted to anything kind of bluesy from an early age too for some reason you know like when they'd sing like rock island line or you know okay. so those old bluesy kind of folk songs yeah. i like those best <laughs> even though i didn't so there were guitars around was there ever an electrifying moment when you just suddenly you're like god i really love this thing or is it just more <laughs> of a gradual yeah i mean i well i got into the beatles you know the beatles were really Made me. I was that generation where we everybody wanted to be in the Beatles, and yeah, they were like they were partly younger than that, though. <laughs> they were like the family, like extended family, almost. You know, yeah, like they felt like you knew them, kind of. You know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I remember first getting into the Beatles when you know I was like in the mid to late seventies. 
when mm-hmm. I was a kid, and they seemed like they had broken up a million years earlier. Like, <laughs> but that yeah. was it. Was only like eight years earlier, <laughs> seven years. Yeah, it's like now it's been like fifty years. Or I know, and they forty something. They still sound great to me. Yeah, just amazing tunes always. So, what was the first great guitar concert you saw, or somebody that just really dazzled you with a guitar? I mean, it could have been a recording, I guess, or well, um, really inspired you. That's a good question. Um, well, I, you know, we'd go see these folk concerts when I was a kid, and then my mom had a friend who was a guitar player, and one day he brought over a guitar, and because my mom thought maybe I'd like it, and he just left it here, you know, and then I just played it all day long. It was just like a $30 classical student guitar, you know. And then so that at that point, it was also like uh, just the music scene in the Bay Area is raging, you know. It's like uh, Bill Graham Presents. and Yeah. So I went, like, I was probably 11 years old. My mom let me go down to Berkeley Community Theater and see bands like S- Stephen Stills. And I actually saw Led Zeppelin at Berkeley Community Theater. Holy shit. No, <laughs> I'd always heard they played there, but yeah. you saw that show. Yeah, <laughs> it was, was one of the first rock shows I ever saw. I didn't really know what to make of it. In, in case anybody like, doesn't know, that was basically our high school auditorium. It was big. holds like 3,500 kids. It seems kind of cozy when you're in it. Cause it's it was kind of similar size to the Fillmore yeah, yeah. I guess maybe. It was like in our arts building. Yeah. And we, you know, and then to have these concerts, Jimi Hendrix plays Berkeley in yeah, that film there. That was there, yeah. So, uh, so how so, was that show, Led Zeppelin, at, at our high school? I mean, it was incredible. I mean, that, I was like, I really didn't know what to make of it because I hadn't heard them before. And I just, well, I'll go see this, you know. And then I said, well, this guy sounds like Janis Joplin, you know. Yeah. And uh, got to have hair down to there. You know, their nipples and <laughs> they look all crazy and I, I loved it, you know. They were the kings. Wow. And then uh, I was a huge fan after, you know, since then. And then, uh, so yeah, I would go, me and my little buddies would go to like Berkeley, you know, Winterland and Berkeley High. And, and I got into jazz like when I was about probably 14, 15, like the fusion music was coming in and that sort of led me into jazz. Which so artists? I, Pulled you in for way. Which artist stole you from rock and roll and started moving you more into a more well, sophisticated direction? <laughs> well, I mean, I, one of them was Mahavishnu Orchestra. Cause I remember hearing on the radio the intro to Intermounting Flame, the Billy Cobb hymn, the crazy, uh, sounded like David Garibaldi on speed or whatever, you know. Um, Really funky, but fast and crazy and s- some strange yeah. time meter that I didn't understand, you know? So I was like, okay, I guess this is where things are going. And So, so then at that point, like all these bands would play the Berkeley Community Theater, like Weather Report and Chick Corea and Mahavisha Orchestra. And getting way jealous. You just wait. <laughs> you take the 67 Spruce. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Seven bus. Oh, seven. And then... Uh, and then from there, I you know I got into jazz, and I was I would then I'd have to go all the way to Keystone Corner in North Beach to go to her jazz. They let us in like when we were teenagers for some reason. That's cool. I remember sneaking <laughs> into Keystone Berkeley once. Yeah, but um, can you show me on the guitar like where you first started to branch out of like when we think of rock? I'm sure we think of like pentatonics and Dorian mm-hmm. modes, and mm-hmm. you know maybe some of the other basic kind of modes. Yeah, into 
more like modal interchanges or alternated altered scales or anything? Was there any uh, kind of moments where you started realizing you could branch out? Or? Well, I mean, I learned like all the modes, you know. When my teachers had me, that was always one of the first things I did. Yeah. And so I was like, well, I had um, had a number of teachers, and then I um, I settled on Dave Dave Creamer. I was hoping you were going to say that. <laughs> yeah, and for. He, I guess he says that he used to play with Miles Davis. And yeah, he played on the on the corner. Oh man, yeah. That was his claim to fame. And it's interesting because I've I've looked at that from different angles, like uh, like talked to Barry Finnerty and other people. And Barry was the one that introduced him to um, George Benson, apparently. Like he took George Benson Dave over to Dave Creamer. Creamer's house. Oh, cool. So you got to hear this guy. And so apparently George was like, oh, this guy's incredible. And he said, who do you want to play with? And he said, about Miles Davis. And then he got a phone call like a week later. Is this Dave? You know, one of those <laughs> kind of phone calls. Oh, man. And then he went and played, but he was like playing all this crazy, like intervallic, you know, you know, things. He's sweet, peep, sweet picking and stuff. Yeah. And I'll just, he was really into sort of clean sounding guitar. Yeah. Man, and so he, um, so he didn't, re- Miles was, want, you know, more of like going to Hendrix route, kind of like crazy funk and fuzz that guitar. So he didn't really fit in, but he's on that record, you know. Awesome. I for, really have forever and ever. <laughs> I have no excuse. Is Dave Creamer still around? He used to get he around is, town quite a bit. He's not doing that well from what I understand. I mean, I, every yeah, once in a while I'll try to get a hold of him. And, um. I took one lesson. I saw when I was a teenager, I saw an ad in the, because there was no internet back then. Right. There was yeah. electricity. <laughs> yeah. And I saw an ad. We had phones. It said, have you heard of Dave Creamer? Why not? Uh-huh. And so I, yeah, and he said that he used to play Miles stuff. I went over and he, and he played so smoothly, like you're talking about. He had the yeah. clean tone and just like I remember his, the way he was swinging the eighths were just. Mm. It was like there was barely any swing to it, but like it was so smooth, it was just like floating above the groove. I yeah. have that on cassette somewhere. Mm. But he was in a, a group called Listen with Mel Martin and George Marsh and Andy Norell on. Steel pans. So that was one of the groups I would see at the Keystone Corner and stuff. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool, man. So Well, um, oh, I got one. He showed me. You go first. They always, you know, always. Um, this one, like a, just, like sweet picking. Yeah. Thing. I mean, at that point, nobody. I never heard anybody doing sweet picking in that. Yeah. In that time period, you know. 
amazing. But he was doing lots of intervallic stuff, you know. And like hexatonic scales and uh, three note. Ah, man. Three note kind of uh, groupings and he had all these exercises, still have a lot of them. That is so cool, man. Really have free. I remember I I had, my buddy had come over to my house or it was our buddy's house. We were jamming. It was Matt Weiniger, great guitar player, and pro- he like ended up producing Primus and other stuff. Hmm. And he was doing the thing where you, you know, you walk bass. Oh yeah. But I didn't know how to do that yet. Yeah. But I was like, hey Dave, can you show I me that? I still don't know how to do that. <laughs> I barely, I barely know how to do that. <laughs> I, mean, I, I can do, do it. like that blues, and that's about it. But he showed me a really nice one. I think it was relaxing at Camarillo. What was it? Hmm. I can't remember. Maybe you can recognize these changes. But it's a, anyway. So. It was really sweet. See if I can possibly remember it. I just love that first part. Blues for Alice. Blues for Alice. I had. I worked on that with him too. Yeah, I still play a song. It's great changes. Like it's cool because it starts with like a Charlie ma- Parker changes, I guess. Yeah, the major seven on the top. But he showed you those voicings and stuff. Yeah, that's exactly what he. Showed. Oh wow, that's very cool. <laughs> that was his. That was his exercise. I think we just went over it for like an hour, and I got it all in tape and just. Hmm. Yeah, I think I have these exercise of him like doing, you know, like blues for Alice, but be like. Super intervallic s- stuff, yeah. you know. Man, I wish like I'd some of the, some of his stuff to be more like you. Know. <laughs> yeah, jumping around, wow. But uh, got me, you know, opened me up quite a bit, you know. Yeah, you were really branching out. What is this beautiful three thirty five? Is that three thirty five? This is a, I think a nineteen seventy three thirty five trapeze that I um trapeze that I bought um. A guitar I still have when I was actually studying with Creamer was is a '66 335. Beautiful. And of course, he played a 335, so I had to have one. But yeah, I, I am so happy to meet a disciple of Dave Creamer. <laughs> and it turned out I still, you know, still one of my favorite guitars that uh, old '66. But I don't like to bring it around with me anymore. Right. Because one time I left it in a cab, like a shuttle super shuttle and you survived the heart attack that you had <laughs> i was coming here and i left and i was like where's my guitar like one of those vans where they have like eight people and they drop yeah. them off each and they day. actually had it like in the office like i lucked out <sighs> so i was like maybe i don't want to travel with this anymore because that's like the one guitar like that i don't want to lose even though it's not worth all that much it's just yeah. like uh my guitar that I've had my whole life, you know. But so I got this one because it has the trapeze. I have another one with the stop tailpiece too. But yeah, there's some sound about the trapeze. I oh like. yeah. So you guys played the most badass concert last night on a December. <coughs> was that the twenty six? Yeah, twenty six. Day after like, Christmas. Day after Christmas, sold out in Berkeley, and um, it was you and of course uh, <laughs> some of the T.J. Kirk guys. Yeah. T.J. Kirk being the super badass funk band you guys had, and we can get to that too. But 
but um, John shot on the other guitar, and you guys, and it seems like he was playing a 335 too. I'm he had the same one that he had with yeah. TJ Kirk, this black Gibson, I don't know what year, maybe early 80s or something. And you guys got really clear tones, like a, where I guess you were playing through that car amp or something. I was. It sounded beautiful, man, really clear. I was in the literally, the, I got the last seat in the uh. whole place in the back wall. on the amps oh, last really? night no That's, yeah <laughs> i don't yeah. Th- i think the only mic we had was the talk mic the one talk mic thing. i was wondering because i thought maybe huh, interesting like not on the drums or anything i don't think so yeah that is a good room that sam's <laughs> got going over there like a good acoustics just mm-hmm. it's like a giant living room it's, it's yeah kind it's of a couches and... but you guys have a lot of playfulness you and john and of course todd sikafu's on bass and Scott Amendola. Scott Amendola on drums, but you guys have a lot of space in your music and really playing. The last tune, you guys kind of on purpose really fucked up. Not fucked up, but like just mutate is the word I'm trying to uh, Sundown by Gordon Lightfoot, or at least that's where you started. Yeah. Famous kind of folk jam, speaking of folk jams. And then I don't know if it was that like some skippiness kind of stuff. or I guess. Oh, we, that, yeah, we did. Uh, there's a Scott Amendola song called Ring Drop that ah. it's kind of a classic we we it's yeah. a lot of cueing and stuff like that. Yeah. Getting it goes into swing and it goes into like mm-hmm. loudness yeah. this and that or the other. <laughs> nice to come home from new york huh and have a gig that you guys can do with your homies yeah we've been i don't remember how many years we've been doing that now but it's sort of become a thing and we actually recorded some last year up in eugene where todd lives so, um wow. people love tj kirk so yeah they love when we get together you know it's a kind of a thing yeah so tj kirk was a group we were in in the 90s with charlie hunter and yeah. myself, John Schott, and Scott Amendola. So that's two guitars, you and John, and then Charlie Hunter. For anyone who doesn't know, he's a pioneering eight-string guitar player that we all love from Berkeley. Mm-hmm. And he'd have play bass with his, you know, one bass strings on the top, the low strings would go through one amp, and then he'd yeah. play right. chords <laughs> and comping and solos with the higher strings, I guess. Or mm-hmm. he's, he's designed a lot of different guitars, but back in the TJ Kirk days, he was playing an eight-string. I think three three bass strings and then five guitar strings. Yeah, and it's so funky. Mm-hmm. 
appreciate Charlie's bass tone too. Like it's really funky. It's like it's his own unique. Yeah, because he has a short scale, it has a different sound to it. Yeah. And so tell us what you guys were in tribute to. Oh, TJ Kirk. Kirk. Yeah. It was, uh, well, the band first was called James, Star T- Trek, James T. Kirk. James Brown, Thelonious Monk, Rasson Roland Kirk. And then we had to change it when we we recorded a couple of records for Warner Brothers, so we had couldn't use that name, you know. So we switched it around to TJ Kirk. Sweet, and you guys got nominated for a Grammy or something, right? We did. And uh, on that topic, I, I think you might have independently Yeah, been my, my record Party Hats in 2007 also got, got a nomination. That's awesome. Let's hear some Party Hats. I think it's 11 records on my own now. Yeah. And probably 60 or 70 with other people. Yeah, I've been putting out a record kind of every year these these last years. Yeah. Um, you have a brand new record called Sky. Yeah. Right, with mm-hmm. uh, Beth Custer. Right. And she she's an incredible clarinetist. Yeah. And incredible vocalist. You do some trippy stuff on that, that both <laughs> of you. <laughs> like, say... The curve. For my ears, being a more of a rock R&B player and stuff, I'm like, are they in? Are they actually inventing new scales? Are you doing like <laughs> rows or clusters? Some of you know, what's the approach melodically or compositionally that's going on on a piece like that? Well, it's it's very. Uh, somebody used to call my writing "seat of the pants" writing. <laughs> this guy, yeah. I used to have a band with a guy who was a music. I went to music school too. I went to UC Berkeley, but he was into all like music like roll a dice and then use the numbers and then or like you know mathematical ways of putting together but i just use mostly i just use my ears and think what it goes next yeah yeah i i can't play that one by memory but yeah there's a lot of uh, interesting stuff on there but it's like um that's also i like to do um free free rhythms kind of music writing sometimes you're That's an, my yeah. imp- impression of the curve. <laughs> it sort of sounds right, like right. that. Right, right. Almost. Yeah. Uh, almost so I was just, that was all just by ear. I don't really know. I mean, it's just like. Yeah. That's a nice sound, you know. Yeah. And then where do you, where do you go from there? And then you might have a, I guess it's, uh, I think, melodically mostly, you know. Yeah. 
So it's, you follow uh, the melody yeah. and harmonize it in different ways, maybe. Yeah, and uh, but I like some melodies are super diatonic, like John Brown's Body, mm-hmm. which everybody knows is Glory, Glory, Hallelujah. You guys do a interesting mm-hmm. like your harmonies on that are really interesting. What key is that in? Uh, C. So, what is she playing? She's playing it really slow, huh? But I was curious to see to hear your harmonies. I think you were going even a little more. <laughs> oh, that's nice. cool man and then on uh, the opening track which Baron shamanic how do you say Baron shamanic transformation yes that's <laughs> one of Beth's songs that's cool how you're throwing in some of your uh, fairy dust and the, the weird uh. sounds <laughs> uh, from uh, like kind of like what you were showing at the beginning of this interview with the pedals and stuff yeah. I guess Some, you know, it was a duo record, but I, we did some overdubs. So I had, like on that one, uh, The Curve, for instance, there was these, uh, Beth and I would um, double the melody, B-flat clarinet and guitar. And then there was these fifths, like, in the bass, where she'd play the bass clarinet, and I'd play the, yeah. so it, was, it had this kind of fuzzy sound. Yeah, it's hard to good. determine exactly what it was, you know. Ah, rad. I was reading some article where they didn't quite get the what happened, you know, <laughs> in, instrumentation. Ah, uh, yeah, that's very interesting. And you overdid some, overdubbed some slide stuff, I guess, a couple of places. Yeah, so I had a, I've been playing a lot of lap steel lately. Yeah, so you got one right in that, in that chair over there. Yeah, and, um, but I also, um, my friend Rich Hogue, who designs guitars for me and works on my guitars and builds Bobby, Bobby Weir's guitars. Oh, cool. Um, um, and this guitar that you're kind enough to lend me and right this here. Telly, yeah, that the dude's playing. Yeah. Anyway, so he he, if I'm in town, I say hey, he has a nice collection of old vintage stuff. So I go, hey, remember that Weisenborn you had the 
2014, I mean the 1914 Weizenberg. Can yeah. I borrow that? So. So that was one of the instruments, like incredible Hawaiian Weizen, original Weizenborn, you know, lap steel. Yeah. Um, so it was fun, yeah. I think I played a, a national steel on there. And you had some different things. great slide moments last night, too. Man. So that's that's always been for a long time. It's been part of my arsenal, which is um, I've developed some a way to have this the strings in the right place high enough so I can yeah play, that's but tricky. also um, high, or uh, low enough I should say that I can finger it, but high enough that I can play slide. Yeah, that's it. I so, keep the strings in my three thirty five pretty low. Uh huh. <laughs> so back in the T J Kirk days, I think I used a. I had a strat with I was playing tens. Yeah. And so I was like trying to play slide and That's right. I do uh, remember some stratiness. There was a lot of buzzing and you know. <laughs> um yeah. I, I mean, was kind of the beginning of when I was playing slide. Well you got a nice balance last night, you know, watching it the whole thing from through that car amp and really singing. Oh, thanks. I've also been studying Indian slide. Is there a way that Indian slide shows up on the guitar? Like can you or do you have to use a, or you like to use a lap steel or? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I can sort of, well, on, on guitar, I, just some of the inflections, I've, and I've been doing it since I was early 90s when I used to play with Jai, I would listen to tons of Indian music and Indian slide. So that was my influence actually to play slide. But I can't say that I'm a, yeah. that I even can play Indian music, oh, yeah. but I'm just like hacking away at it bit by bit. And I have a teacher, Debashish Bhattacharya. In New York? In Calcutta. Oh, so I you do you Zoom, Zoom lessons. A lot of thank God for Zoom. <laughs> um, and he's a master. He's, have you heard him before? No, I don't, I don't think so. You have to look him up. He's one of the most amazing guitar players on the planet, in, in my opinion. So he's doing the legit Indian kind of raga stuff. Yeah, in there. yeah, he does. But he also um, he collaborates with Western musicians sometimes, and musicians of all kinds. And he's very open-minded, and so he doesn't yeah. mind my plodding along and taking a lesson every month or two. Oh, you know, that's great. Can you show uh, any little f- flavor of um, this direction? 
Yeah, sort of like here's just on the regular 335. See, there it's yeah. kind of. Beautiful. I love it. So I've, you know, studying with him, I've gotten way more in tune, being able to play more in tune. I mean, I still can't play a rock, but I can, and my technique has gotten way better, you know? So that's killer. I'll just demonstrate a little on this. Oh, great. He's pulling out the I don't have the proper bar right here, but. Lap steel. Is that a Gibson? What is this now? That's a Gibson. That's a Gibson with the old, old logo. That's a BR something, 40s Gibson, I think. Uh, not in tune. But yeah, so Debashish plays, uh, he basically tunes it in open open chords, six string, and his instrument is six six main strings with uh, sympathetic strings, right? So, so it's pretty adaptable to... Does he mostly do lap steel or...? He has his own guitar that he, yeah. he had made called a Chaturangi. And I was working, you know, I was... Working, I feel bad because I was practicing a lot. I started during the pandemic, you know, working with yeah. him, and then, then I started playing a lot of gigs and making records and stuff, so it was harder to... Yeah. this up and playing with the wrong it's just a bottleneck slide so oh sounds great <laughs> oh that's um, so soulful man uh, so yeah i actually had started studying with this guy who was really playing hawaiian's style so i was messing around with that for a little bit and loving that too yeah. but it's a different you know with like a C6 or B9 tuning. and then, Sure. But this is just like D, like a D chord tuning. Yeah. So the advantage is, you know, now I can, I'm better at playing like blues <laughs> lap steel. Yes. You know, just getting used to this tuning and everything. It's still not quite in tune. It's been sitting here for a while, but uh, in tune enough. So that slide has always been a big love. Yeah, of yeah. I remember seeing you play. Slide. I think I first saw T.J. Kirk. Maybe at, did you guys play once at Blake's on Telegraph? Yeah, we played every club in the yeah. Bay Area. Yeah, we played. Everyone played Blake's. Too. Yeah, and uh, down the stairs. I know. I miss so, that place. Yeah, I miss a lot of places. Yeah, man. right. Up and down yeah. club yeah. and the elbow room and. Elbow room, man. Yeah, that's gone, huh? Yeah. Berkeley Square. Bruno's. Bruno's. Is Blondie still there? They don't know if that was really a... Oh, yeah. More of a restaurant. I know that was like recently they had were having music there. Uh, I played there maybe five Cafe years ago. Cafe du Nord. Yeah, that I think is back, think but back. maybe not the... Yeah. Sure it's not Slims the same. Slims is gone, which I actually is... saw Medeski Martin Wood play at Cafe du Nord when they, on, maybe on their first tour. Oh, cool. Or, and then you said, yo, Stanton and... Or, well, you... John Modeski, I guess. Yeah. And Stan Moore from Galactic, you did a fat record with. 
Yeah, right. Blue uh, Plate Special. Blue Plate Special. There's some funky shit on there. Thanks, yeah. You want to play one of those grooves for a second, or I don't know. Um, Just like a vamp or something, maybe. Yeah, actually, there's... Join you. The first song on there is actually a John Medeski song that he had lying around, I Ooh. guess. But it yeah. sort of became a standard for me. <laughs> I was playing it. It's called Baby Goats. Oh, yeah, I was listening to that. Uh, so I played that. It's it's like one of those great songs that's really easy, but fun to play at the same time, you know? So... Just kind of a jam in an E. And then it goes to C sharp, C sharp, and then to C to B. So it's just like one of those brilliant, simple, catchy jams, you know? 
I love it. What a treat playing. That's kind of hard to, those are so hard to write, you know? Yeah, it's like meters <laughs> or something. Yeah. You guys last night really straddled the line between simple and super complex. Uh-huh. Like, it was <laughs> yeah. really cool. Like, there's so much space in there. And, and, you know, sometimes it might be a little riff. Other times it might be, well, Thelonious Monk. Or, yeah, it's all over the place. Really cool. It's, it's funny because TJ Kirk, we really worked hard on these crazy arrangements. And they just got crazier and crazier as the years went by. So we were like mashing up it was super it was the mashup band like everything was mashed together like a monk tune over a james brown tune with yeah go to the ross on roland kirk bridge and then so mm. so like when we we had a reunion we only had like one real reunion i think it was around 2007 maybe like 10 years after our last gig we did two nights at the great american music hall and it's such a chore to learn all these <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah all these crazy arrangements and yeah like wow, we had more time in our twenties, <laughs> yeah, yeah, or whatever. Like uh, a lot of notes. Yeah, I mean, so it's kind of the opposite. Like, for instance, I have this gig at the Bitter End, like day after tomorrow, and playing with Oznoy. Yeah, I know Oz. Tell him hello. I will. He's been on this show. Yeah, and it's my first time playing with him, and and uh, he's had he's like almost like a residency at Bitter End. Or? Yeah, for as long as I remember, and. Yeah. So anyway, it's like, why don't we do something? And so we're just doing a real last minute thing. So it's like, let's do the simplest songs we can think of that yeah. we don't even have to rehearse. You know? So that's like the opposite. The opposite of TJ of Kirk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then uh, um, for New Year's, I'm playing um, actually with John Medeski and a group called Club Delph in, uh, oh, sweet. near Boston. Club Delph is a Boston band that's been around for twenty, at least 25 years, maybe more. So you guys are playing with them? Or That's a band. Bill no, I, I, uh, they, there's kind of a rotating uh, cast in Club Delph, and it's this guy Mike Rivard, and it's based on Moroccan, sort of Moroccan jams and oh. world music, but also a lot of he has a DJ and a lot of spacey jams, basically. Oh, and, is there an interesting example of that for a guitar part, or is it more like you're gonna um, show up and do your thing? Or uh, let's see, making me try to remember things. I'm just gonna sort of improvise a thing. Yeah, yeah. I'm just- Six eight kind of yeah. grooves, you know. Right, so and uh, he plays a, a sintir, which is a Moroccan kind of a Moroccan bass from Ganawan, the Ganawan uh, tribe. Ah, sweet. Which is a North North Africa, like has more roots in North Africa than uh, more Arabic music, you know. So it's got real uh, funky. I'm gonna check that out so heavily. <laughs> Club Delph is D apostrophe E L F. And Medeski's on a lot of their records, and um, Dave Fusinski and yeah, Fusilicious da- Morsels, and David uh, Dave Tronzo are some of the guys, other guitar players that play with him from yeah. you know Boston. Because you're bi-coastal now, man. Boston's quite a ways from New York. Well, yeah, but still. So 2007, after taking over the San Francisco acid jazz scene, yeah, right. <laughs> you guys were always playing. You're always playing with the great bands and the josh joneses and the uh i think you played with you did some spearhead that might have been a little later yeah brief incredible band 
and doing your own stuff and everything, you um, you you just told me before I turned on the mic set, and I think you just alluded to it. Two thousand seven, you busted a move to New York. You live in the city. Where do you live? I'm Brooklyn. Hi, oh, cool. That's yeah. where my brother lives out there. Mm-hmm. What's a, what's life like for you out there? I mean, it sounds like well, you're doing <clears throat> lots of different stuff. Of it's course, not, but no so, longer the uh, big fish in the pond anymore. You know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's for sure. Um, yeah. There's a lot you of realize like there. how what a small pond the Bay Area is. Yeah, really. Which is, is what I love about it too, you know. Yeah. But you know, it's a, it's it's kind of an ass kicker, you know. New York is, is tough. Um, and that's just the weather. Yeah. <laughs> but there's you know a great tribe of musicians that lives live there and li- lives there and there's lots of little gigs that we we all a lot of us do in between bigger gigs, you know. So sure. There's always places to play with great people. Um, which is not quite as, not as many as there used to be before the pandemic, you know. There have been yeah. place, places closing, but. See Campolongo much? Jim he Campolongo. moved back here. Oh, he did move back. Cause, that's right, because my buddy Jimmy Leslie was renting his house for a million years. And oh, he is got that kicked out when he came back. Oh, okay. <laughs> Understandably. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of Bay Area people out there, you know, like Dred Scott and Kenny yeah. Brooks and. VJ. 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 IR. Ayer and uh, Peter Alphabaum and Stephen Bernstein and a big long list of people. Kenny Brooks, the sax player, yeah. From Alphabet Soup and yeah. Bob Weir, Rat Dog. Now, how did you feel about your education at Cal Berkeley? Because I got the same degree. Well, I didn't get a, I just got a general music, but it, maybe I was a little later. Uh, I don't think they had a composition degree. No, it was a general music. Yeah, that's But you I, could kind of focus on what you wanted to, you know, I guess. And I, I wasn't smart enough to get in on the first, or I never even, I didn't even try after high school. I went to junior college and transferred in for the record. But Yeah, I went it? from SF State, actually. Oh, yeah. Which so is kind of like a junior college. <laughs> did you, uh, I I mean, I felt like I learned a lot about the mechanics of composition and, you know, basic harmony and traditional yeah. harmony and writing music and proofreading music. And, you know, it was all very useful, but it was also... Also, kind of pulled me away from the guitar a bunch. It was kind of, kind of a mixed feelings. Although I think I would have enjoyed it more if there wasn't so much damn homework all the time. <laughs> what did you? What was your experience like? Well, I made the mistake of putting off all my general electives until I transferred over there. So I had these really hard Cal classes I had to take. Oh, I know they're harder, aren't and they? And then I would like, but I, I took as many as I could for uh, pass fail or whatever, you know, um, so I could perform uh, concentrate on music yeah we're playing um, gigs at night right well, i wasn't doing a lot of i was just like oh, yeah. working my studying my butt off oh, and, maybe but yeah i mean it made me work really hard which is the main thing and develop yeah. my compositional skills but you know now if i i was a little lost i guess coming out of high school i didn't really know what i wanted to do so it was kind of here in the bay area and you just knew there was a guitar involved i mean now i, I wish I had gone back east and studied like at uh, yeah. New England. I was I knew about New England Conservatory back then, and I was sort of like, oh, I wish I could go there, but I just didn't get it together because it was like all classical, you know. I didn't SF yeah. State had more jazz, but it wasn't really serious like I wanted to be. So I, I just studied classical. Yeah, music. same here, at Cal. It was like yeah, and they they just like if you mentioned jazz, they sort of like poo pooed you, kind of you know. <laughs> Although we had a great jazz teacher at Cal Berkeley that came in the last year I was there, Bill Bell, piano player. Oh yeah, he passed uh-huh. away I think, but yeah. he was great. And he had this great line. He'd kind of he taught 
He loved was everybody. Was he teaching classes in the in the he high was school te- class? Full on, yeah. like you get full music credit, jazz, improv, or whatever. Oh, cool. I just remember I mean, he was funny too. He'd just walk around the class, and I remember one day he was just like, he was like, "People, we're gonna get this jazz feel if it kills you." <laughs> Like not if it kills us or me, I'm gonna be fine. But yeah. if it kills you guys, we're gonna get it. Yeah, I I am in no way. I don't consider myself a jazz player, although I've done a lot of gigs where they have to play jazz songs. <laughs> yeah, as I've learned a lot that way, and I love to stretch out. But I felt like anything I know about swinging the eights, Bill Bell hmm. taught. Like he really just hmm. just work with us on just feel. So. Oh, uh, that's cool. That was also an embarrassing guitar moment where, you know how you have your strap backwards on the hook? Oh, and yeah. You don't realize it. And we and were it in falls between, down. We were in between songs, and my guitar, the little the strap came loose, and I wasn't touching the guitar, so it just fell on the floor in the middle of the class, and the volume was completely up, and it was through <laughs> the amp. Oops. It was just like, blam! And then the high E tuning peg where right here it means the neck broke off. So I had five strings left and just interrupted the whole class. Oh, man. I think ever since then, I'm like... I broke a couple of headstocks during that. Oh, yeah. I've been hyper careful now. I, yeah. uh, one time I interviewed um, Jimmy Vivino on the Conan O'Brien set. And mm-hmm. Conan was there. I got to meet him. I'm holding his like 52 Telecaster, Buddy Holly or whatever, 54. I don't know. Yeah. I'm sorry, Stratocaster. I mean, I was wow. just so paranoid. Like he didn't have strap locks on it or something couldn't i was like oh man can i yeah. drop this thing <laughs> i'm yeah. not gonna do that again <laughs> yeah right i know yeah so you know at, at that point i was like i wanted to be a classical composer and oh interesting but uh i didn't really know what that entailed or what i wanted to do i was just what i was interested in and then after school i just kind of well i don't want to go to school anymore <laughs> you know i was just done with it yeah at that point so it took me a while to get back into jazz i didn't really wasn't playing a lot of jazz until uh hieroglyphics ensemble yeah kind of that put me back on that track yeah. i was kind of sitting around trying to make songs with four track machines with drum drum machine yeah drum machines and i remember his was it his first record like 1989 or 80 i don't know that that's yeah, the around record. there yeah 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 that was a really great sounding record Mm-hmm. I think you're on that one. Yeah, the um, signs of life. Yeah. Yeah. Juicy stuff. So yeah, the, for them I met um, Lee Townsend and Hans Wendel, who were managing that band at the time. They had just moved here from New York, and they had been working with ECM Records. And yeah. So I, you know, I kept bringing demos to Lee Townsend, you know, and say, "Oh, check out my thing," and he was interested in my playing. Then I brought him this one that said James T. Kirk on it. And he said, well, maybe I can do something with this. Oh, so sweet. he got a, a deal with Warner Brothers. We couldn't believe it. We were like, what? Are you kidding? <laughs> well played. <laughs> that um, makes me very happy. It's, for me, growing up in the East Bay in Berkeley and San Francisco, it was there was nothing more exciting to see people from the local scene people getting get signed. Like, that yeah. was always, you know, yeah. it was an education too because you soon realized that, you know, doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be Led Zeppelin if you get Exactly, I found that out pretty quick. <laughs> but it's still very, that's, man, major label contract for for some. Yeah, yeah. and uh, Funk fusion, that's great. We were like, uh, they were on the, you know, they had like Josh Redman and uh, 
Yeah. And um, Brad Meldo and Larry Goldings and people like that kind of yeah. were um, being signed to that label at that time. Sort of the young lions of jazz, I guess. Um, and we were something, we got signed by the same guy, A&R guy that was working with them. We actually had two A&R guys. We had another guy who was like more into alt-rock stuff. Hmm. But um, they didn't really know what to do with us. You know, they're like, we're some weird weirdo band. from Warner. Yeah, and, I mean the A&R people. Or, yeah. But the first record sold pretty well, you know, so. That's great. But they, they gave us another one, another chance. Sweet. And then you did a third record, right? Or those originals? Well, the third record was uh, a live record that yeah. we had recorded at Kumba and Great American Music Hall. And then Scott had these ADAT tapes sitting around. And he kind of made it happen, actually. And uh, Ropadope put it out. Well, let me just take a look at that. I'm going to keep you here all night. So I could you... talk about this for my whole <laughs> life. It is my whole life. But... Yeah. It's funny when you do these interviews, or like, and then there's this whole other thing that happened, you know, when you've been oh, playing yeah. a long time. It's crazy. Yeah. And a guy like you, you know, you've done so many different gigs and <laughs> um, studio sessions and, mm-hmm. and Don Cherry record. Yeah. That was our first hieroglyphics oh, uh, recording, actually. So you guys are, it's kind of like Toto was backing Boss Gags and then they became a band. And you guys became a group after that or no it was a group Peter's, but it was under his name peter started the group in the late 70s oh it goes he was back like in he was a senior at high school i think and i had already graduated high school and then i joined up later but yeah and then don cherry but uh there was a grant i guess for peter to do a concert with um a guest artist and he brought they brought don and Don just loved the Bay Area and just moved here. <laughs> wow, so we, we ended up playing with him a number of times, backing him up and played on his last record. I think it was his last record. I'm not super familiar with Don Cherry as a name I've always known. Mm-hmm. And I know I've listened to him, but... As a co- core member of the Ornette Coleman Quartet. So a lot of modern kind of out kind of stuff, or how would you describe it? Well, yeah, he was... Um, I mean, Ornette Coleman was on the forefront of free jazz and, you know, working with jazz that w- didn't really go with f- chord changes. You know, it was more like mm. maybe stuff I was playing earlier where I was saying you just kind of follow your ear and hopefully you have a good ear you can Pull what make you something want. musical out of it. <laughs> uh, um, so he would write, he had this whole concept, harmonic, right. he called it, which nobody really understood what that is. But, but it's kind of like the way I understand it is... Uh, sort of multiple keys happening at the same time or can float in and out of key centers. Um, and maybe yeah. a lot of people can do it at the same time or he'll have a more specific thing yeah. that he actually, at one time he explained it to me and I still don't understand it. But Ornette, Ornette did? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's cool. I went to his house one time. Oh, shit. What and was that like? <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. Beautiful house in the apartment, like huge ceilings with modern art, immaculate, you know. New York? In New York, yeah. Yeah. And he's the nicest guy. I never, I mean, I got to hang out with him a couple of times, but I never got to play with him. But, but Don, uh, and then, but Don got very into world music later on and incorporated African yeah. music and different kinds of music. In fact, going back to that Ganawan Moroccan style music, um, he, you know, he got, he got really into that and performed with some of those musicians. So, Very so cool. Peter, he heard that in Peter's music because Peter, 
Yeah. Brought in um, <clears throat> uh, African music and uh, Latin jazz and reggae and all kinds of the African diaspora, diaspora into his Caribbean. Music. Yeah. Yeah, we had a lot of that cool stuff in the Bay Area, you know. Right, yeah. Like you mentioned Andy Norell and that whole scene. And he used to have a cool band that did a lot of soca. Andy? Uh, uh, what were they called? Yeah, I don't remember the name. That's where I first heard Hot, Hot, Hot. Avi Bordnick was playing guitar with him, I think. Oh, oh cool. And yeah, we used to play a lot of that stuff, like Ashkenaz, all the... um I used to play with Jeffrey Omadebu from Nigeria. Mm. Just Afro-funk, man. I learned so much about, like... Yeah, yeah. Funk. I used to hear it's those like right hand stuff. I used to hear those bands. I never played in a legit like African band, but I'd so the hieroglyphics was sort of uh, my <laughs> world beat band from that era. Nice. Remember, that was like a Norel thing. I remember watching them and Ash, Avi was doing you know Avi Bornick? Oh do I, of course. Yeah, yeah. you must be buddies yeah. with him, yeah. But. Like yeah. the, that's all in the offbeat, like the ones that. Yeah. Just say, Avi was a machine with that stuff. Yeah, he was man. amazing he was, at that. Do it all night long, but. Yeah, I mean. Uh, yeah, no, but Avi is badass. Super funky, super precise, and where yeah. like rhythm guitar itself is being celebrated. Right. True. You know, yeah. But like the stuff he did with Uber Jam, you know, Schofield. That's so juicy. Yeah, that was the first time I heard Adam Deitch, too. Great drummer. Oh, my God. And then yeah. Andy Hess was in that group. That was the first time I heard him. That's why, partly why I got him on my record uh, with uh, Stanton and, and Modeski. Yeah, yeah. Funk, man. Yeah, so what's next? Uh, you got the New Orleans coming up, and any any visions for this year that you're chasing down? or? Well, um, now that you put out the most mellow record on planet Earth. I know. Well, I have, uh, I guess my projects, I have this project called Pond Life. I did a record called Pond Life that was pretty out. It was probably one of the more out records I've done. Yeah. And it's been hard to break into that, like all these cliques, you know, like that. You're trying to break into the out clique? <laughs> yeah, maybe. <clears throat> you know, that's a, um, you know, I thought it would, it's been pretty hard to book that project. But it's when I do it in my heart, I put a lot of, I, effort into that record. I actually got Medeski on there too and uh, alto player Tim Byrne is guesting on it. And Chris Lightcap is a great bass player and Chess Smith on drums. I guess I have like three kind of main, there's kind of that world I want to do more and then there's the funk thing I want to do more, I'll never stop doing that. And I have a group called the Freelance Subversives, which is just that, I mean it's kind of like I'll, I'll do it out here with certain people and it'll be yeah. different people in other places. But, uh, and that, that's a record I did recently, it came out in 2020. Yeah. Um, just in time. Yeah, like just in time to not get promoted. And then, uh, um, then I do more like jazz records. Yeah. Uh, and then this Beth Custer record is more—I don't know—maybe more like cinematic. 
I figure you must be pretty busy all the time with all these different projects. Like, <laughs> I hope you're like, <laughs> well, I mean, shedding and and planning and all the you know preparing for all the different stuff must be. Yeah, it is hard. I'm. It's also I'm a little bit you know spread out like with all doing so many things. That, spread out to the point of being spread thin, or I don't know if it's too spread out. I mean, yeah, well, but I enjoy the the diversity of things I do. You're one of the most diverse cats <laughs> that I know. Thank you for uh, meeting up today. Yeah, <laughs> thanks so much for coming over. Oh, incredible. Rainy ass night on yeah. Rainy Podcast here. Two days after Christmas. And I know you're headed back to New York, so I really appreciate you. Yeah. Fit, fitting it that was in. really fun. Yeah. We got to hang out more. I loved you. <laughs> yeah, keep it alive to your million and five, my brother. <laughs> yeah, I right know.